I love you, church. It is so, um, I just feel so blessed and feel so privileged um, to have the opportunity to share the story of Jesus with you. Yes, I believe it's the greatest story ever told. It's incredible. And you know, I'm standing right here in our Kirkland Auditorium. I know we're not totally supposed to say where we are and where we're shooting and whatever, but I'm looking at 2,250 seats and only about eight of them are filled, uh, maybe seven, six. Uh, and it's, a, it's an interesting feeling to look around this auditorium and it's essentially empty. But yet to know that our effectiveness and our ability to serve you, serve your neighbors, serve loved ones, new people joining the church is astronomically higher and more efficient and more effective. And for that, we're so grateful. Church Home only exists to efficiently and effectively serve people as they are on their journey of faith. Jesus as our hero, our savior, our model. And so, um, People keep asking, when is the church going to reopen? It never closed. The church, the church is people. It's not 2,250 seats in Rose Hill and Kirkland, Washington. It's just not. Um, the church continues to thrive and grow in Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Los Angeles, Rio de Janeiro, um, Brazil. I don't know why I thought of Rio. I just want to go to Rio and haven't been. But um, God's doing so many amazing things in church home. Here's the title of my message tonight, A Prescription for Pain. I, would I am no doctor, that is for sure, um, but I would like to give you a biblical prescription for pain. Now, I want to say this. If you are not experiencing pain, I was going to say you got to get out more, but I think that's not what we're saying right now. You gotta get out more. But if you're not experiencing pain, uh, you are the one anomaly on planet Earth right now. For the rest of us, these are some of the most exciting, exhilarating, excruciating, and painful days of our life. I think of Lebanon right now. I think of what's actually happening in Lebanon. In truth, we don't know exactly entirely what is happening. We know that Lebanon is an extraordinary crisis after this astronomical explosion. And I do wanna say um, it is our privilege already to be partnering um, with an amazing organization. Does anyone remember the organization's name? Anyone in this auditorium? Um, I know the name, Preemptive Love. Thank you, God. Preemptive love, uh, which I so believe in. Um, and I'm just learning about preemptive love and this incredible organization, but we are already partnering with them financially. Preemptive love is on the ground. Um, Jason Propaganda, many of you may know him, a hip hop artist, a very dear friend of mine, is on the board of uh, Preemptive Love and immediately reached out uh, right after the explosion hey, let's partner, let's help. And so Lebanon, we are praying for you. We are standing with you. We are sending resource, your direction, preemptive love. Thank you. It's our privilege to be partnering with you. Pain, pain is very apparent right now, not just in the United States of America, but around the world. I'll say one word and I promise you, it'll bring you some pain, election there's some pain for you. It doesn't matter where you are in the gamut, where you are on this horizon of American politics and election, but it is painful. It is painful. Uh, here's another word that will bring pain. Wherever you are in this journey, justice, human rights, 
pain. We are experiencing pain. Here, here, here's something really important to say before I get going. Pain is not the problem. Pain is not the problem. Now, my dad had a saying, and here's what his saying was. Pain, no pain, no pain. <laughs> right? Some people say no pain, no gain. My dad, like, you know, he was the Advil kind of guy. He's like, well, no pain, no pain. That's a bonus. But in reality, we're going to experience pain on this planet. This planet and pain will surely come together. Not every day, not all day. Somebody say, thank God. But there's going to be days of pain. Now, we can avoid pain. We can run from pain. We can understand that pain is part of the process and God will use pain to allow us to become the people we need to be to fulfill God's incredible plan and purpose on the planet. So here is my prescription for pain. And when I say prescription, I do not mean a pain killer. I mean a prescription that will help you continue to walk, though you're experiencing pain, to continue to walk and keep moving. I, I was sitting at a, uh, a lunch table a few hours ago with one of my dad's oldest friends. I think he threw out, your dad and I have been friends for 30 years. Uh, and then the other friend that was sitting there, my dad's old friend, he's been friends with my dad, I want to say he said 43 years. And what's amazing is these, I think, uh, one man was 70, the other man is mid-60s. And while we were sitting there, they started to laugh and they said, you know, um, I said, is, did that person kind of go off the rails? And they're like, you know, isn't it funny how life, the older you get, it's just about like, even when you go off the rails, just keep going, just keep moving, just keep walking. Don't give up, don't quit, don't stop, right? I mean, that is so much of the faith journey. It's like, whatever we gonna do. You ever heard old preachers say, they're like, if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, don't stop, right? Keep walking. And I just wanna say here at Church Home, we're gonna keep going. We're going to keep moving and we're going to keep walking. Now, to do that implicit within that statement and language is that we are not going to stop because it's painful. We're going to keep going. Here is tonight my prescription for your pain. And again, I want to remind you by saying that, I'm not saying that we got to run from pain, ignore pain, or try to get rid of pain. But what we do need to do by the grace of God is keep walking. Now, typically, I would read a scripture, and I am so excited to share this scripture with you, but I'm going to jump right in to something that happened to me, well, I think it might be a couple months ago. Am I the only one since COVID, particularly? I have lost track. Someone said, yeah, I've been here since May. I'm like, oh, at the beginning of COVID. And he goes, COVID started in March. And I was like, it did? how long has this been going? You know, so um, my timeline's a little off, but at some point um, I got cellulitis. I don't know if you remember that time where um, I literally had a friend tell me, hey, while you're preaching, don't show your hands. It's distracting. And I'm like, <laughs> how about you don't look at my hands and I still use them while I'm preaching? You know, that's what I felt like saying. Um, but I went to the doctor's office. Cellulitis was happening. I didn't know what was going on. My hand was on fire. It was swelling. It was blistering. It was, it was really gross. I won't get into the details. 
And while I was there, this wonderful nurse, we actually had an amazing conversation. She asked me what I did. I said, I'm an author, I'm a public speaker. And she goes, really? And she kind of looked at me and I got a sense that she had a sense that she knew Jesus and I knew Jesus. I said, well, I'm a pastor. She goes, well, well, she goes, young man, we got to get you back out there. We have never needed you more out there. And she said this as she went to do some tests on the cellulitis. She goes, um, and I forget what it was. She was putting an IV in or something. And she said something to the effect of, okay, this is going to be uncomfortable. And then she came back and she said, we're going to test you for the COVID. We're, we're going we're to test you for um, this disease, this pandemic. We, this, this could be a part of what you're experiencing. I said, okay. She came back and I had not heard about the test or what the test entailed. I don't know if you've been tested or experienced it, but this particular form of testing was very invasive. And she walked in to back into the doctor's uh, or back into my, uh, is it called a doctor's office? What is it called at the emergency room? Room? All right, hey, you know what? All eight people here don't help me at all. I'll just be fine. I'll just be here all by myself, guys. All right, all right, well, let's close in prayer since I have no buy-in or support here in this empty auditorium. I'm kidding. Um, she walked in with a little bit of a different attitude. She walked in, a little more somber, and she goes, okay, this is going to hurt. And I was like, wait a minute. Ten minutes ago you said this is going to be uncomfortable, and it was. Did you just say this is going to hurt? She goes, yeah, you're not going to like it. It's going to hurt, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this. Okay? And before I knew it, she's like, okay, we're going to go up each nostril. And before she, I knew it, she had gone through my nostril and had some sort of a swab that was swabbing my eyeball. Okay, that's an exaggeration, but that's how it felt. It literally felt like she had swabs up my nose and was exploring kind of some of the brain matter in my head. I was like, right? And you're like, can't breathe. I like want to like physically protect my nose and nostrils. And I got done and you kind of get those chills and your eyes are water. And she's like, I told you. And I was like, you did. So I'm not walking into the emergency room with you right now, thank God. But I am your pastor, and this is your church. Well, Judah, I'm just watching. You're not my pastor. This isn't my church. Oh, okay, thank you as well for being here. But for a moment, allow me to talk to those. Church home is your place of worship. This is your church. You love Jesus, and I am the pastor. Can I say this to you, church home? This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. I wish I could tell you this where we're headed, the vision of God, a church that looks like heaven, true inclusion, true diversity, a, a church that when we get to heaven, we're not shocked by the beautiful diversity of all the different tribes and tongues and languages and ethnicities. This, if we want heaven on earth, if we want a church that looks like God's vision, not just our vision, I'd like to walk into your space tonight and tell you, this is going to hurt. Now, you might be looking at me going, oh, it's been hurting. It's been hurting. And for that, I say, I am with you, and I'm praying for you, and thank you for your honesty. But if somehow this fight for biblical gospel justice, and I want to remind you, biblical gospel justice is not fairness it's truth. Our goal at church home is not to be fair. Fair is overrated. What is fair, by the way? Fair. No, we want the truth. We want what is right. 
We want what is true. We want why God made this planet in the first place to be realized, and that is that every man, woman, boy, and girl on this little planet called Earth would have the same starting point as anybody else in this life and would have a fair shake, not only at life, not only at future and purpose and plan, but a fair shake in experiencing a total freedom in their relationship with Jesus. Let's just... That's not my vision. That's not church home's vision. That's God's vision, which possesses church home. People ask me all the time, what's the vision of church home? My brothers and sisters, that is not up to me. The vision has been set. So church home does not have a vision. God has a vision, and that vision has this church. And so I don't get to stand here and say, you know, one of my passions is true inclusion and integration. That's one of my passions, church. Now, you might go, well, that's not my passion, pastor. This isn't about what my passion is. We're not here tonight trying to celebrate what Judah's opinion is or what my worldview is or what my desire for our church is. We are here aspiring to live, love, and look like Jesus. And what he values, we value. Where he goes, we go. Who he seeks out and saves and loves and cares for and shows deference to and empathy, that's, that's where we go. And so I want to remind you that our church is not committed to Judah's vision, a board of elders' vision, or any other man-made, invented vision. We are absolutely obligated in the most beautiful way to a vision that has been for 27 years possessing this church. And I want to say it one more time. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. But Judah, I don't know if I want to do that. That's fair. But where we are headed as a church, this is going to hurt. But, you know, I was thinking about truth, and I just want to I, I bring this for you. And I know we had not even read the scripture yet, okay? Don't tell my mom and dad, okay? My, my dad's in heaven, so he knows. But don't tell my mom, okay? I'm going to see her later tonight. But they always told me, you read the scripture first, so everybody knows this is, this, is, this is from the scripture, okay? But I'm doing this for a reason, so bear with me. I want to show you the six stages of truth. These are, my, my opinion, six stages of truth. Here's how truth works. You hear it, then it hurts, then it's hard, then it gets heated, and then from heated, you start to heal. That might be the longest part of all the stages, the healing part. And then healing gives way to health. Six stages of truth. Isn't it funny? Everybody wants truth. Everybody's like, oh, I love truth. Well, then you better get ready for some pain. Truth hurts. We were in a Zoom call just yesterday. Chelsea and I are in a Zoom call trying to pastor, lead this church, and, and help our CEO, David Kroll. You know, he's leading our staff and leading our team. And so we were, I forget what meeting we were in, and Chelsea looks at me on the Zoom call. You're talking too much. Stop it. And I'm telling you, everything within me was like, who do you think you are? First of all, I'm a good talker. Second of all, I think everybody on this call wants to hear me talk, right? Like, and I looked at her and I'm thinking to myself, that is so frustrating. That is her opinion. And then I looked at the Zoom call and I realized what Chelsea was doing was trying to protect her husband, who happens to also be the leader of church home, from talking so much that other people don't get to contribute. And by the way, we all learn the best about truth when we talk it out ourselves and get involved. And I looked at her and I almost reacted and I smiled and I looked back at the Zoom call. And you know what's crazy? When she said, you're talking too much, and I almost went, 
How dare you? I looked back at the Zoom call. I smiled, and everybody on the call smiled like, yes, you are. <laughs> and you won't stop. And welcome to our life on your staff. And I was like, that's truth. And we say we want it, but do we? We are the most pain-killing, pain-free, pain-avoiding generation who's ever lived. I mean, do you have Advil at your house? If you don't, you're the only person in this church that doesn't. You got Tylenol, you got aspirin. We, that is, it is just so normal for us. When there's pain, get rid of it no matter what. When in reality, if you look at the makeup of our body, pain, the fact that you feel pain, I know this is weird, is one of the greatest gifts of your entire human experience. For that pain will tell you, move your hand, change, shift, move, adjust, no more, don't do it again, never again, right? Pain is, isn't it funny? We understand pain in the body, but you wanna talk about pain in the brain or pain in the soul or pain in our spiritual journey. We're like, oh God, where are you? I'm in pain. I'll take it a step further. You ever talk to Christians who think pain is the number one sign that it's not God? Well, I'm, I, I don't think. I don't. I, I'll tell you right now. If we were following God's plan for this church, we wouldn't be so divisive with, with our language. Divisive? It's just difficult when Judah gets political. Political? I, no, that's not the plan. We just, we, we, we believe that every human life is of infinite value before God. And wherever a human life is seen as less than what I just said, we are the gospel-believing, Jesus-following people that say, excuse me just for a moment here, every single person is of infinite value before God, and you have decided to determine that this person is of less value. We'd like to stand next to them and say, we disagree kindly, and you can move on, and we're here to stand with them and let you know that that's wrong, and that's not in the Bible, and that's not Scripture. So... So that's what we believe. Uh, brothers and sisters, that's called gospel living. That's all that is. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it complicated. Whatever country you're from and the systems and the policies and the political structures and whatever those parties have aligned themselves with, with picking and choosing what truth from the Bible, when it comes to political systems and countries, let us remind ourselves there is not a Christian party. There's just parties. The Christian party is called the kingdom of God, and you don't elect its leader. He's always been and always will be. And there is undoubtedly a passion at our church to pursue his truth, his way, and his path, even if it contradicts our favorite party. That's who we are. We are Jesus followers. Oh, I urge you to vote, but stop voting for God. He doesn't need your vote. He's God. He's in charge. Um, I love oftentimes these philosophies that float around the world, and I recognize them, but I think sometimes as Christians, we get scared when people are like, I don't believe in God, and I hate God. We're like, no, no don't do that, right? It's like someone said they don't like your dog, and you're like, that's my dog. It's a golden retriever. How can you not like my dog? You need to like my dog. Here's my dog. And we treat God like that. No, no, God's good. You need to love God. You need to... But brothers and sisters, God is so big and so vast and so strong and so eternal and so forever and so in charge. The Bible says he sits in the heavens and he laughs at his enemies and the earth is his ottoman. 
I promise you this. God's not wringing his hands. God's not worried. God's not scared. God is not concerned that the big, bad, ugly devil is going to take over. He is sovereign. And he is in charge. What is this? This is my prescription for your pain. Judah, when are you going to get to the part where you share with us the prescription for the pain we're experiencing? Well, that would be right now. Here's a statement I want to say. I believe right now, bear with me, that many Christians, including me, over a process of time, over a process of many, many decades, we have developed, how should I say, uh, a habit. I think we have developed uh, a way of waking up in the morning and getting going with our day. And I think it starts with something like this. What can God do for me? I, I would like to go on record to say, I think that's how oftentimes I wake up. I don't, I don't consciously go, you know what? Today is going to be framed by, what can Jesus do for me? In fact, if you found me at 4.45 a.m., which I wake up every morning and seek God for three hours, that was a lie. But when I do wake up at 9.15, I certainly wouldn't want you to walk into my room and go, hey, you ready for the day? And I would go, uh, yeah. And what's the question we're asking today? What can Jesus do for you? I, I know enough about the Bible. I'm not going to pop out of my bed and go, that's it. That is it, man. The whole day, I'm going to count the ways Jesus can do something good for me. And yet, if you look at the landscape right now of evangelicals in this country, everyone seems to be fighting for what they want. Everyone, it's supposed to be the Jesus followers in every country that stand up and say, there's a higher way to live. There's a better way to live. Instead of simply living, what can my neighbor do for me? What can my spouse do for me? What can my kids do for me? Which is only natural and normal. And then we project that onto God. And now we come to the creator of heaven and earth who gave us breath in the first place. And by the way, can any of us stand up, raise our hand, and claim our own efforts on our day of birth? You know what our birthday is? Birthday is actually one of the greatest days to worship the sovereignty, majesty, and power, and glory of God. Your birthday is the day you go, don't know how I got here. Didn't choose my life, didn't choose the time, didn't choose my family, didn't choose my ethnicity, ethnicity didn't choose my nation. I'm just here by what? Total gift. The whole thing. I didn't choose my hair. I work hard to keep it. You know, I didn't choose, I mean, it was all gift. It was all grace. How did you get here? Did you choose 2020? Did you choose this generation? No, you didn't. It was all gift. It was all grace. Think about it. And yet, we take grace and we turn it into, over time, what God owes us. God, you ever done this? You ever had a day where you're just a little feisty with God because he didn't answer your prayer? By the way, no answer is an answer. That's what all of us oftentimes, when God doesn't answer your prayer, that can definitely be an answer. Oh, Judah, that's not encouraging. Well, I mean, it could be at some point when you have like no answer from God and you're like, just give me an answer. It's like, he did. <laughs> He's like, you don't want the answer for that and you don't want that and you don't know that, 
but I know that, so I'm just going to not do anything. And you're going to get frustrated, but 20 years from now, you're going to go, thank you, God, right? You ever had one of those days where you're like, God, you don't answer my prayers. You know what, God? I'd serve you if you got me that spouse. You know what, God? I need you to show that you love me, right? And if we're honest, many of our daily routines, daily thoughts, desires, feelings, and sensations orient kind of around this concept, what can Jesus do for me? Now, (laughs) I'm going to say something that is probably not the nicest thing, but the most popular sermons I've ever preached are typically ones that kind of lean a little bit towards what Jesus can do for you. Now, I don't blame you or me because I like those sermons too. Can you imagine tonight was like, the title of my sermon is what I guarantee Jesus will do for you this week. Let's be honest. You'd be like, kids, kids, gather around. Call the neighbors. He's going to tell us what Jesus is going to do for us. And I got news for you. He's going to do so many good things. He's got so many good things in store for you. I want to remind you what the scripture says. The prophet prophesies from the view of God. He says, you think I want to harm you? You think I want to hurt you? You think I want to take things from you? I don't have plans to harm you or hurt you, but to prosper you and give you a future and a hope. So here's the sneaky little truth. He's going to do great things for you. He's going to do extraordinary things for you. But here is the beginning of my prescription for your pain. What if every day, instead of giving into any form of what can Jesus do for me and that focus and that perspective and that paradigm, what if every day you made a decision Here's the question I'm going to ask every day. What has Jesus done for me? Count those ways. Count those ways. Not what is Jesus going to do for me. What has he done? Very different. A life that says, do for me, Jesus, or a life that says, what you done for me, Jesus. I want you to think about that. The difference between a life lived, all right, Jesus, what are you going to do for me? As opposed to a life lived, do you know what Jesus has done for me? You know what he's done for me? Yeah, but what is he doing? It doesn't even change the fact that what he's already done is enough. Is it? Is the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension and total authority and lordship and kingship and sovereignty of King Jesus, is that enough? If he never did anything for you for the rest of your life, would it be enough? Would it offend us that our whole culture says these lives matter? If we thought in the context of what Jesus has already done for me, Would we feel lessened? For those of you that are not black, have you felt somehow your your validity is lessened because there seems to be a sovereign emphasis on the total and obvious disparity within our own country of how black men and women are treated? What if we said, look what God has done for me. I wonder when you hear a statement that the lives of black people matter. I wonder if your knee jerk or my knee jerk wouldn't be what about my life? Hey, 
What about my life? What about it? I thought Jesus says if you want to find your life, you got to let go of your life. Do you know why Jesus followers let go of their life? Because they count the ways. All the different ways and all the different things Jesus has done for them. And then they go, wow. And then their heart and their posture and their soul goes, not my will, your will be done. Not what I prefer, not what I think, not my opinion. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Have we lost sight that God is in charge of America? Are we going to sit in our homes on this night, August 2020, and tell ourselves that Jesus Christ is not in charge of America? That is not my theology. Church, I love you. That's not my theology. I wake up every morning believing there's a king. He has not been elected, and he will not be replaced. He is the forever one. He is the majestic one. He is the extraordinary one. He is the indescribable one. And he has all power in his hands. And he does as he pleases. And he consults no one, for he is God all by himself. Made man in his image, spoke words and we got a planet. Spoke words and we got stars. Spoke words and we got a universe. Spoke words and we got oceans that we cannot even plumb the depths of. He created creatures in the ocean that no one will ever see but him. Is this not the God of the whole earth who rules and reigns over the affairs and the doings, the goings and the comings of every country he has made? So is your God in charge? Or has a political party you disagree with taken over? Or is God in charge? Is God who holds the king of every country in his hand, is he moving? And wielding and what happened to the sense that maybe this is God is that still a possibility for you and me could this be one of the most important moments in the history of our generation could we right now be a part of the one of the great shifts human rights in our country's history? Could, could God be trying to teach his church what he means when he says justice? Could, could God be in this? Or did you or I say, well, it can't be God because this isn't what I like. This isn't how I see it. Oh, well, this, I'm in pain. This can't be God. Or maybe it's God for all of those reasons. What's the prescription for your pain? Just start there. Start tomorrow, start tonight, and count the ways he's worked for you, he's cared for you, he's provided for you, he's loved you.
He's included you. He's validated you. He's redeemed you. He's embraced you. Count the ways. And then we'll respond. Let me show you the scripture. Romans chapter 11. These are not my words. These are the words of God. Who could ever wrap their minds around the riches of God? Who could wrap their minds around the depth of his wisdom or the marvel of his perfect knowledge? Furthermore, who could ever explain the wonder of his decisions or search out the mysterious ways that he carries out his plans? Do you understand God? Do you have God figured out? Do you know how all this is going to work out? Did you have God in a box? Did he fit perfectly in your worldview? Or is there a God that's so big and so vast that he goes far beyond our arbitrary man-made human boxes, parties, and definitions? For who, Romans eleven thirty four 34 says, has discovered how the Lord thinks? or is wise enough to be the one to advise him in his plans. Are you like me? Do I get the knee-jerk reaction sometimes that I need to advise God? God, you gotta understand how politics works down here. God, you gotta... Or, who has ever first given something to God that obligates God to owe him something in return? Oh, I'm supposed to stay in a box, but I can't help it. Can you put that up one more time? Just, just let this sink in. I'm sorry. Who, here's the question. Have you, have I given something to God? Has this ever happened in human history that obligates God to owe him something in return? That he owes you something in return? So many days I've lived on this planet actually believing that my serving, loving, and preaching has entitled me to things from God. What's Jesus going to do for me today? Why would you say that? I've given him my life. I read my Bible. I only have sex with one woman. Hello? What's Jesus going to do for me today? You know what? Jesus didn't do anything for me today. You know what? In fact, the culture, you know, it doesn't see me now. Oh. What are, you, what are you owed? What am I owed? And you go back to some of the mystics and you go back to church history and you go back to the first century Christians and you go back and, and, and you can't, you gotta, you gotta get in there and you can't find anyone who's entitled. And one of the reasons for that is because hundreds of people saw physical, visible, visible, tangible Jesus who beat Roman crucifixion, rose again on the third day, just like he promised. And they watched him levitate off the ground into the clouds. And they were like, it's true. He's real. He said he's coming back soon. And that soon to you and me has been lost. But to those watching, the Jewish Jesus beat death, come out of the grave, levitate in the clouds. They said he might be back next week. Life was not about what you were owed. It was about responding to all that he 
had done. I'm coming to a close because my sermon cannot be too long because it gets awkward when you sit in your living room with your teenage kids. So I come to a close. Let me keep reading these verses. It's been a few weeks since I preached. I am pretty excited, but I'm closing. Proud of him. Listen to this. Same passage. You, you got to read this for yourself at some point tonight or tomorrow. This is, for out of him, the sustainer of everything came everything. And now everything finds fulfillment in him. May all praise, all honor be given to him forever. Amen. Wow. And then it goes. Maybe you've heard this verse. It shifts chapters. Romans 12 and verse 1. Did you know it was right after those verses? Maybe you've heard this verse. Well, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Mercy means not getting from God what you deserve. (laughs) I have lived so entitled in my Christian life. And do you know what? The grace of God By the grace of God, God has not given me what I am owed. God, the last thing I want, church, is from God what I'm owed. I don't want that. For the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. I yell because I'm excited. That's all. You want? what you deserve from God? No, you don't. No, you don't. Mercy is, oh, son, oh, daughter, I will not give you what you're owed. In fact, I'll pay the price and I'll give you what I was owed. So, the writer of Romans, Paul himself says, so what's going to be our response? Here's my prescription. Well, more prescription for your pain. When you start living life of what has Jesus done for me? You put yourself in this place of now, now respond. See, the problem is you and I, we've been asking the question in so many different ways. What's he going to do for me today? We preach sermons with what's Jesus going to do? We write books. What's Jesus going to do for me? We fill auditoriums with telling people what Jesus is going to do for you today. What he's going to do in your marriage, what he's going to do in your kids, what he's going to do in your future, in your business, everything. He's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. And, and but you're going to hear that from me over time. I'm going to have those moments. I'm going to, I think you can do this. And he can. Cannot God do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or even imagine possible? Yes. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids. He cares about your movies. He cares about your occupation and your hobbies and your car and your, all of it. He does. He just cares. He cares about your jet ski for crying out loud. He does. But is that the consistency of our our Christianity? What is he going to do for me? 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 You know this trend? What's Jesus telling you right now? I'm going to be honest with you. That's overrated. What is Jesus telling you right now? To be honest, most of us would be far better just doing the thing, I don't have my Bible physically, the thing he's already said. Do you know what I mean? You ever heard, you know, God's been speaking. I'm going to pray about it. If we just did the stuff he already said. I don't need, what has Jesus done for me lately? I don't need the lately. He died. 
He said, it's finished. He paid the price for sin. He said, I'll go to the grave. They will bury me in a tomb. On the third day, I will rise again to prove to everyone I taught and did miracles for that I am everything I said I was. And I will establish a new way to be human. And there will be a new earth. And there will be a whole new group of people that will be a peculiar people, a holy nation. And they will make up my one great nation, which will be made up of all ethnicities and all tribes and all kindreds and all tongues. And together they will come together. And it will not be their ethnicity that bonds them. It will be how they were redeemed that bonds them. And those people called the church orient their life around what Jesus has already done. And so they will die for their faith. The days are coming. Intense persecution are coming. Judah, this is not the most encouraging Wednesday night service. The Bible promises not me. There's, it's coming. It's coming. And there will be a generation that God will raise up. And when they are persecuted, they will consider it the highest honor. They will be maligned. They will be killed. And some are as we speak. Killed because they say Jesus is king. And when they kill us, we will feel honored and privileged because our life does not orient around what is Jesus going to do for me today. It's oriented around what he's done. And that's enough. So what should be our proper response to God's marvelous act of not giving us what we deserve? I encourage you, Paul says, and I end here, surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. Surrender, number two, Live in holiness. The word holiness, it's, it's so maligned and everyone thinks holiness is like wearing certain clothes and, 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 and not drinking, smoking, or cussing. Whatever. Holiness means uncommon. Here's my prescription for your pain. Just surrender. I'm tired of being an opinionated Christian. I'm tired of being a limited worldview Christian. I'm tired of just being an American Christian. I'm tired of just being a white Christian. I just want to be a man who says, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. It's not my church. It's not my country. My home is with you. My country is eternal. I am yours. I love you. In the meantime, whatever you want from my life, I say yes. I give up. I let go. In fact, God, I'm going to surrender so much that if somebody else's life needs to feel like it matters more right now than mine, so be it. So that gospel justice can roll through the streets like rivers in the, in the forest. I mean, Surrender, and then it says, live an uncommon life. And then lastly, he says, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Church, please hear me. Please don't miss the message I'm going to preach on Sunday. I'm so excited to share it with you. And I'll end it here and dot, 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 and I'm done. 43 minutes, it's better than 50. This becomes your genuine expression of worship. I appeal to you, church hall, that our worship would not merely be music Wednesday or Sunday. 
I wrote this down. My genuine worship to God is what I do regularly. That's my worship. You worship to the level you live. That's it. Not the level you sing, not the albums you download, and not the services you attend. You worship to the level you live. And you'll never live a worshipful life until you just, all right, all right, all right. What do you think? I don't. Not all about what's going on. His kingdom come, his will be done. <laughs> I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. One of, one of the translations of this verse in Romans 12 says, this is our reasonable service. What happened to that in Christianity? What happened to our reasonable service? What happened to our reasonable service? Aren't you worried about your family and your future and your 401k? And aren't you worried about your ethnicity? And aren't you worried about your demographic? And aren't you worried about your party? And aren't you worried about, no, I mean, Judah, I mean, aren't you, I, you know, there's this, there, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, what aren't you? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm a Christian. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, okay, good. For not, for, not, for, for me, that just means like, I'm not in charge. Not in charge. You think the devil is so powerful? I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here, man. I, I'm done. I'm done. I'm the pastor, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little feisty now at the end of my sermon. I'm hearing Christians talking about, well, you know, this is, we got to pray. This is evil. This is, what, what? So the devil is so powerful that he could just take over the country? That's how, so the culture is more powerful than Jesus. Or is he not in charge? Is he not in control? Wow. So God, your kingdom come and your will be done. <laughs> I wrote this sermon today and I've told the Lord, I'd like to preach some sermons coming up real soon where I tell people the awesome things you're gonna do for them. I told them that, I'm, not gonna, be, I'm, not, I'm gonna be honest with you. You know why? Because you feel better and generally so do I. You know what God wants to do for your family? For your, and I, I believe in it. This is what Jesus told me to do. I want you to tell my church that there's a higher way of living. And nothing inherently wrong with saying, what's Jesus gonna do for me today? There's a more accurate way to live every day, and that is, what has Jesus done for me? Start counting the ways, and before you know it, your posture will go from, well, uh, to, Church, can you do me a favor? If you see me in a cafe, can you just walk up to your pastor to encourage him and just say, hey, Judah, I just want God's will to be done.
I could use a couple of those cafe moments, to be honest. A couple of church members just to say, I trust God. <laughs> Is that, we see that as weakness. I see that as accurate, and I see that as strength. So your kingdom come and your will be done. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for the minutes and moments we've shared tonight. So much you're saying and so much you're doing. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that. If you're watching this and you would like to receive Jesus, I, I mean receive. You just like to accept him as God for who he claimed to be. I'd like to pray for you. In fact, I want you to raise your hand wherever you are. Say, I just, I believe and I receive Jesus. He became sin so that you can become right with God forever. Took all your error, all your wrong, all your sin, so you could become right with God. God, you see every hand right now, whether in a living room, whether in a park, whether in a condo, whether there's some buddy's house hanging out, you see the hand. And I thank you that salvation is free here and we are forgiven forever and we thank you for that in Jesus name church I love you so much I'm so excited to share more with you on Sunday